Ah! Ah, that's my, I just want to take my shirt off. I don't know why. I just do. I'm not. I'm not. You're welcome for that. But anyway, uh, man, that, that, so I started dating my wife during, uh, she's my girlfriend then. That, and I thought, is that why I want to take my shirt off? And I don't know, but that's none of your business. Anyway, um, hey, I'm back. So I've been on vacation. Can you tell? I'm a little hyped up. Anyway, so, so I've been on vacation. I'm back. And uh, so uh, we, rented a, we rented a cabin. So I've lived in, in Colorado for like, uh, like eight years now. And I, and I haven't had time really to go west into the mountains. So we, we, we rented this, 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 this cabin up in the mountains. It's been awesome just kind of getting away with, with my family. I've seen all kinds of animals. There's animals up there just a couple miles west of here. And uh, like I saw elk. I saw deer. I was looking at my window. A bear walked by my window. That never happened in Indiana. All right. So anyway, um, so bear walked by my window and then this, has anybody been watching that show naked and afraid? Anybody been watching that on discovery channel? I, I tried that. <laughs> I did. And, uh, so anyway, my wife, I just, I said, Robin, look out the window. And she's like, you're stupid. Anyway, anyway, I had shoes on though, but anyway, uh, but anyway, so, so we, uh, some of you going, that's the pastor. I know. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, so I've been taking my family up there, and so I bought one of those backpacks, and I put my grandson. Did I mention I have a grandson? Did I mention that? I have a granddaughter, too, but she'd fall out the leg hole, so I didn't bring her, but anyways, because she's little, but anyway, but anyway, so I've been hiking, and then two weeks ago, right now, I was lost in the mountains with Dan, my best friend. We were, we were out in the mountains, and we just planned to go like a little ways, and we just kept going, and kept going, and then it started raining, the fog came in, we got lost, and we didn't have any supplies with us, we, so we were out there a long time, we had to drink our own urine. It, it was horrible. We didn't have to, but uh, we... Uh, <laughs> Bear Grylls said it was all right, and he, he lied. Bear Grylls is a liar. And, uh, but anyway, so, but, but here's the thing about vacation is that, um, I don't know if it's when you go on vacation, that you go away. I, I don't rarely, I rarely go away for two weeks in a row for vacation, but so the, the first couple of days, it just takes you a couple of days just to let go of everything you left behind. You're not really on vacation. You're just trying to not think about stuff anymore. And then the last two days of vacation, you're thinking about what you have to come back to, but that middle part's pretty good right? That, that's when you kind of have some time just to kind of think and decompress and sit in a chair or, and just stare and just think and reflect and remember and dream about the, about the past. And, and so I've had some of those, those, those times in the last couple of weeks where I could just sit under a pine tree and, and I spent like, like hours just thinking about everything that's happened in my life that brought me to that point in my life. You ever do this on vacation, on the beach or wherever that is? You're staring and your mind's just going all over the place. And, 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 and when I talk about the point of my life, do you, do you ever come to a point in your life where you look back going, if somebody would have asked me five years ago or 10 years ago, do you think your life would look like this? You would have gone, no, no, I can't even imagine it for better or worse, right? You know, you, you never thought your life would be this good or you never thought your life would turn out this way or this bad or whatever it is. But I, I, over the last couple of weeks, I've had a bunch of those sit and stare at pine tree moments. And so, so here's what I've been doing is that I've been thinking about this. It just really, really blows my mind. And I'm not being modest. I'm not being humble or anything like that. But it really, really blows my mind that in spite of all the mistakes I've made in my life, and I've made a lot. And so I'm going to watch the head start nod here in a second. But, and all the sins I've committed in my life. In the past, the, the sins I still wrestle with in my life today, you know, none of your business, but, but I mean, I, just, I do. Right? And, uh, but but all, all that stuff, in spite of all that, in spite of all the reasons I've, I've given God to look at me and go, that's enough. That's it. That's the deal breaker. I, you did that again and again and again, and you know better than that. And I, I've given God every reason to look at me and go, that's it. I'm just done with you. You know what I'm talking about? In spite of all that, he's never left my side. Do you ever, do you ever have that realization? It takes a while to kind of get to that point in your life going, you know what? Looking back, God's always been with me. In spite of all the things that I've done wrong in my life, God has allowed me to be married to the same woman, Robin, for almost 30 years next year. I have two kids, great kids. They both love Jesus. They're married to people that love Jesus and love them well. They, 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 love, they love Jesus. And not only that, they love going to church. It's possible to love Jesus and hate church. Did you know that? 
And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. And on top of that, if that wasn't enough in my life, and that would be enough, but on top of that, I get to do this. I, I, get, I get to lead the most awesome church I've ever been a part of. It's so more, more, this place is more wonderful and different than anything I could ever have, have imagined. If you would have taken me back 10, 15 years ago and said, can you kind of describe church? I, 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 would, I, would, I wouldn't even come up with this. I wouldn't even have the words. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. I don't want to talk about what makes Flatirons so wonderful. But what I want to talk about is what I think makes Flatirons or any church or any, anything, any person, something or someone you could look at and go and describe as, man, that's, they're awesome. That, 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 that's wonderful. Let me, let me explain this. All right? so, so I'm on vacation the last two weeks and, and I, I, I check email every once in a while. I know you're not supposed to do that, but I do. Anyway, so, so I got this email right in the middle of my vacation from this Christian magazine and they wanted to interview me. This is so weird to me. But anyway, so, so they gave me a list of these questions to prepare for the interview. And they're those typical interview questions. When was this? And how did this happen? All that kind of stuff. But there's this, there's this one question that jumped out of my computer a little bit more than the rest. The question went something like this. Would you be willing to share a distinct turning point for your ministry? Would you, would you share a distinct turning point? So I'm looking at this and in my mind, the question goes like this. So Jim, you were doing ministry and you can just fill in the blank here. You were doing church. You were doing Christianity. You were doing parenting. You were doing marriage. You were doing life. You're doing it like this. You've always done it like this. And then on the line of your life, something happened. And after that point, it was different from that point on. Something happened that you couldn't do it the way you've always done. Marriage, life, church, whatever that is. Is there something like that in your life or in your church, Jim? That, that, and if so, what, what is that? And the thing that caused me to sit under that tree really for a couple of hours and just stare wasn't trying to figure out what that moment is in the line of my life or in the line of this church's life. I knew immediately what it was. I sat there and just thought about all the things that have happened because of that moment. And that's what I want to talk about today. Happened about seven years ago, seven and a half years ago in, in this church, all right? And just, just so you kind of have an idea, I see, see, some of you were here for that moment in this church. Uh, most of you weren't. I can prove that. By show of hands, raise your hand if you didn't, did not go to church here seven years ago. Look, <laughs> newbies. All right, so, all right, so, right? All right, most of, most of us didn't go to church here. And so I'm going to kind of bring in what happened. About seven years ago, we were across the street now in Jack's, all right? And I was standing in the shoe department looking out, right? If you've been there. Anyway, so, so and, and we're doing a study on the heart of Jesus. What does Je- the heart of Jesus really beat, a, beat for? What is he passionate about? What does he care mo- most about? Followed by, uh, again, this is seven years ago. We, we do this all the time now, but this is one of the first times we've done this. And, and the, the following question is, does our heart individually, as people who say we follow Jesus, or as a church, does our heart beat for the same things that Jesus' heart beats for? Do we care about the same stuff Jesus really cares about? And if so, is there any proof of that? Is our energy and our, and our time and our money pointed at the same things Jesus cares about? Because Jesus said, your heart and your money will always be in the same place. Whether you believe in God or not, that's just true, right? The thing you love and your money are always in the same place. Guys, you're dating her. She has your money. Ta-da, there you are. So that's, that's, that, that's just true. So, so the more that we study Jesus and continue to study Jesus over these last seven or eight years, what we found is, and this is going to be a, kind of a new moment for some of us, but what we found is that Jesus spent a disproportionate, unbalanced amount of time with, with, with messy people. With poor people, with outcasts, with, with lost, broken, messy people in all areas of their life. Spiritually, they were all messed up. Financially, they were, they were, they were messy. All right? Sexually, they were all messed up. Relationally, messy people. Physically and emotionally, their, their bodies were messed up. Messy families, messy marriages. They'd gone through messy divorces. You, you know who I'm talking about. The messy people that, that some people, but especially religious people, don't really want to care about. 
The religious people didn't really care about people like that. And by religious people, here's what, here's what I mean is that if you go back to Israel 2,000 years ago, everybody there pretty much was Jewish, unless you invaded the place, all right? And you all grew up going to synagogue or going to temple or going to Hebrew school and stuff like that. So almost everybody that listened to Jesus taught, teach had grown up being taught about God all of their life. They knew the Bible. They went to Hebrew school. They read the Bible. They memorized chunks, chapters, whole books of the Bible as required reading. They were in the Lord's house every time the doors were open. If you were to ask some of these people, is God in your life? They say, God's in my life and God is in my heart and I follow God and he's really, really huge in my life. And, and I stopped, you know, committing most sins or at least most of the sins that'll get you kicked out of synagogue. I, I, I've done that. And what we, what we learned as we study the life of Jesus and these religious people is that the religious people who cleaned up their mess or got really good at hiding their mess, they didn't have much time or use for messy people. And over this last three weeks, this dance series that Scott's been leading us through, all right, these religious people are the people that Jesus has been specifically talking to. If you haven't been here the last last two or three weeks, let me kind of catch you up because over and over, this is what Jesus is saying to religious people. And he's saying this, there's no pleasing you. There's there's no pleasing you. God, God has been sending prophets and men and women to you with these messages that go like this. This is God and this is what he's like and this is his heart and this is what he really, really cares about and this is what he wants you to do. And every time you, 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 you respond the same, you won't listen to him. You won't obey him. And it's like, you know, to go back to this dance theme, God played a song. You won't dance with God. I don't, no, no, I don't want to dance. All right. And then God, Jesus says, then God sent me to you. My message is, is, is simple. It's the same. This is what God is like. This is what, and this is who God really, really cares about. And this is what God wants you to do. And you responded to me the same way you responded to everybody else. You won't listen. You, won't, you don't want to dance with Jesus either. And it's like, no matter what, God just can't get ahead with you. He can't, he can't please you. He can't win with you guys. And what makes it worse is you actually try to quote God's words back to him and to others. You beat people up with God's word and you actually use God's word to tell God that he shouldn't help people. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to pick it right up, right, right up where Scott left off last week. We're in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to pick up in verse nine. And we're going to see people quote the Bible back to God to get him to change his mind. It doesn't go well. All right, so there, in case you have to leave early. All right, so Matthew chapter 12, verse nine. Now, here we go. Going on from that place, what place? Well, you gotta listen to Scott's message last week. There you go. Okay, so going on from that place last week, he, Jesus, went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So again, we're picking right up in the next verse where Scott left off. It's Saturday, it's the Sabbath. And so Jesus goes to the synagogue because that's what good Jewish people do on, on the Sabbath. They go, go to the synagogue. And Jesus walks in the door of the synagogue and sitting there in the back waiting for the service to start. All right, maybe the countdown started or whatever like that, right? Sitting there in the pew or the row or whatever is a man whose hand is shriveled. And I looked up the word shriveled and translated it. He had a dead hand. He had a dead hand. It was, it was all dried up. It, it was atrophied and, and it, was just, it was just useless. The, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened though. Maybe, maybe it was an injury. Maybe he was a, maybe he was a soldier. He'd been off the war and he'd gotten, gotten wounded. Maybe he had, he had MS or something like that. Maybe it's a, it's a birth thing that happens since birth, right? But, but in this culture, if, if your hand doesn't work, it's, that's a deal changer. It's a, it's a life changer. You go back 2,000 years ago, there's no Wounded Warrior Project. There's no United Way. There's no March of Dimes if you can't afford medical care. No, no, you're on your own. If, if your hand doesn't work, you don't have a job. If you don't have a job, you don't eat. Nobody's going to hire you. Your, your hand doesn't work. Nobody's going to marry you. You can't put food on the table. And when people looked at you, all they saw was your hand. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And some of you know what that feels like, right? 
You know what it, look, like, what it feels like when somebody looks at you and all they see is your wheelchair or your crutch or your limp or your whatever, your divorce, your past, your police record, your whatever that is. All they see is what you've done in the past or what's happened to you. And what's worse is that some of you, when you look in the mirror, that's all you see anymore. I'm not even a real man. I'm not even a real this. I'm not even, I can't provide. I can't do this. I can't do what I used to do. And now you look in the mirror and go, I'm, 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 I'm nothing. And that's what these people, and they saw this man in the synagogue, that's what they felt about him. But, but what we're going to see is that Jesus saw something much more in this man. So look at this. So there, Jesus goes to the synagogue. Now, here we go. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Now, let's stop there. Because anything that comes after that word, accuse Jesus, reveals what these people are going to try to do to Jesus. They're, they're not going to ask Jesus questions because they want to know more about Jesus. They want to follow Jesus. They want to hear what Jesus has to say about God or life. No, 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 no. Anything that comes out of their mouth, anything that they do from this point on has one motivation. I want to accuse Jesus. I want to put my finger in Jesus' chest and say, you're wrong. You're wrong. What you said is a better way. It's not really, really better. What you want me to do, it's, it's not a good, uh, a good thing. You're wrong. It's the wrong answer. I'm going to accuse you of that. And this is how they do it. Look, keep reading. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Again, picking up right where we left off last week, these, these, people, these religious people, they just won't let up. It's like they're always just bringing up rules. Is it a rule of this? What about that law? What about Moses said here? Is it a sin to do this? Is it a sin to do that? Are we allowed to do that? It's the same old thing. Is it lawful, Jesus? Is it a sin to help to heal a hurting person on the Sabbath? And they're referring to one of the big Ten Commandments. Remember that one? All right. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy, holy. All right. What, what, what does holy mean? Holy means set apart for God, S- set apart from God. So the Sabbath day is God's idea. All right. He wanted his people to carve out one day of their week to honor him, to, to reconnect with him, to pay attention to the things that God cares most about. That's why God says, so I don't want you to do it. I don't want you to work on the Sabbath. Six days out of the week, knock yourself out. Go for it. Do whatever you want. Make money, do your thing, work hard, do what you have to do. Work, work, work the fields, herd the sheep, dig the wells, repair your barn. But one day out of the week, God says, just take a breath. Take a, take, take a time out. Take, take a nap if you have to. All right? what, what, what I want you to do is to reprioritize your life because it gets all crazy during the week. But I want you to carve out a day and make remembering and focusing on God's heart the number one thing on your list. Again, don't let the craziness of life crowd God out of your life. That's why God gave us this commandment. It's for our benefit. I mean, God didn't get anything out of us taking a nap, right? It's, it's good for us to take a break, to reconnect and reprioritize our life. That's the reason for the commandment. Now, if you go back a few weeks ago, these, these religious people are always trying to trap Jesus and asking questions that they don't think that he can answer and go, see, they're trying to accuse him. You're, you're, you're fake. Do you remember, one, uh, we looked at this a few weeks ago. One time they went up to Jesus and said, I, I got him. Hey, Jesus, what's the most important thing in the Bible? What's the most important thing God ever said? Hoping he'd give the wrong answer and they go, see, he's a fake. Right. But he answered right because he's Jesus. All right. So, so they said, what's the most important thing? And Jesus didn't miss a beat. Remember what he said? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor. All right. So love God and love people. That's, that's the most important thing in the whole Bible. And now they're kind of following that up. Maybe it's the same group of religious guys. All right. And they're asking this, but how about this? So love God, love, love your neighbor. But if your neighbor is hurting, and he happens to be hurting on the day that's set apart for running after the things that God loves most. What is that? Hurting people? Oh, yeah. Don't talk about that. Do, 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 we, do we have to help our hurting neighbor on God's day? Or, or could we actually use loving God as an excuse to ignore our neighbor's pain? Can we, can we use God as an excuse not to help somebody? And, and Jesus is so smart. 
Write, write that down. All right. Jesus is smart. All right. Because we'll come back to that. All right. He knows exactly what's going on. So he turns the table on. Look at verse 11. So he said to them, he's going to quote, you know, Le- Leviticus Old Testament law right back to him. All right. So he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? See, Jesus knows the history of these people. See, he, he knows when they were back hundreds of years before this, making up all these extra rules. God gave you 10 rules. They said, that's not enough. Let's add 600 more on top of that. God didn't say it, but we're going to help God out. All right. So they added a whole bunch of rules on that. But as they added all these other rules on top of the 10 that God gave them, they, they made sure to work in some loopholes in case anything bad happened on the Sabbath, they wouldn't be out of luck. They wouldn't be out of money. It wouldn't be inconvenienced, right? right? See, because back then, you didn't put money in the bank. And if you went, you, you put it in cows and sheep. If you went to Africa, if you went to Sudan with me on a trip or Afghanistan or someplace like that, you, you, don't, you don't go to the bank, you buy more sheep. So your bank investment is out there in the field, all right? How much are you worth? Uh, about 100 camels. That's, that's how much, that's my bank account, right, right, right there. So, so back then, if your investment falls in a hole, you were allowed to rescue your investment. That sheep for the 100 bucks, I got to get him out of the hole, right? So if, you're, if your cow falls in a hole, you can get a cow out. But if your neighbor falls in a hole, it just sucks to be your neighbor, basically, <laughs> Right? I mean, really, really, I mean, if you want to go strict Bible law, all right, your cow falls in or a sheep falls in, get him out. If your neighbor falls in, walk over to the hole and go, hey, hang in there. I'll be back tomorrow to help you out. But can you imagine if you're the guy in the hole and you have somebody looking down at this? But ready? I love God so much. I can't get dirty and help you out of your hole. So see you tomorrow. Bye. All right. And by the way, if you're mad, blame God, not me. Because God doesn't want me to help you. And here it is. Look at verse 12. This is Jesus still talking. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? If you're, I don't know, a lot. That's the answer, all right? A lot. Therefore, because people are more important than sheep or anything else, all right? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And the point Jesus is making is this. Let me, let me put this in gym language because I know you look forward to that, all right? I, I think Jesus is looking at these people going, dude, you missed the point. You read the Bible and you missed it. The, the, the commandments, you just, it's, all, it's all messed up. Your priorities are all screwed up. You care more about your own selfish interests like a sheep than you do about this man. And you're using Bible verses to justify your lack of wanting to help this man. And what you're actually doing, you don't even realize that because I'm God in the flesh. You're actually quoting Bible verses to me trying to get God to not help this person. And Jesus looks at these religious people and goes, this is messed up. How could you take what God had in mind, the heart of God, and jack it up this badly? Remember, I remember a few weeks ago, I think Scott was teaching and he, and he taught us this is that every rule and every commandment that you find in the Bible that comes from God all pointed to or was fulfilled in Jesus. That, that, all, all of that, right? And I, I would take that another step further. Every rule and every commandment that has ever come from God or will ever come from God has had the same end goal to point us towards loving God better and loving people better than we currently do. See, Jesus is saying here, you need to worship God, not the rules and regulations that point you to God. There are means to an end. The end result is love God and love people, right? And I think they're just looking at him like, where are you going with this? Look at verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, sound as the other. But the Pharisees, they went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And that's a typical response of religious people to Jesus. Anytime he messes with your religion or the way you've always done church. When Jesus shows up and goes, hey, listen... This is what I want you to do. You'll accuse him. You'll argue with him. You'll fight with him. And when you can't change what Jesus actually said, you'll just crucify Jesus or that version of Jesus and invent your own version of Jesus that's not as intrusive. It doesn't ask you to change anything in your life. That's what we usually do. 
In dance terms, I think Jesus is saying to us today and to these people there, he says, if you want to dance with Jesus, Jesus commands you to dance with the people that he wants to dance with. So we talk about this all the time in here. Every few months I bring this up. But I, I did a study through the, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four biographies of Jesus you find in the Bible. And do you know, some of you are going to know this, all right, if you've been here a while. Do you know what I found was the number one question asked of Jesus, especially by religious people? It had nothing to do with God. When people back Jesus in a corner and want to ask questions to him, it didn't have anything to do with God. It wasn't who is God and what's he like. A few people asked him that, not very many. It wasn't how do I get to God or what's God's will for my life. A couple people asked him that, not many. Not, not very many people even asked Jesus this. Is it a sin to do this or will I go to hell for doing that? A couple of people asked him that, but the number one question asked to Jesus or about Jesus to his closest followers was, was this. Why is Jesus friend of sinners? Number one question asked of Jesus in the Bible. Why, why would Jesus want to be their friend? Why does Jesus go to the places he goes, eats with the people that he eats with? And why is he friends with the people that he's actually friends with? In other words, hey, Jesus, why do you want to dance with people like that? Why would you do that? And the answer every time that Jesus gave back or sent back to those, those people asking the question was that, was the same. People like that are why I came. Almost every major fight Jesus has with religious people, every confrontation he has in, in the Bible is over the same question, followed by the same answer. And then there's a meeting. I don't think Jesus should tell us what to do. I don't like that. Let's kill him. I'll give you, I'll give you probably the, some of my, my favorite examples in the whole Bible. All right. And I'm going to start these stories. And some of you who grew up going to Sunday school or got drug off to confirmation class or whatever, you're going to go, I know that story. I heard that story before. Like one time Jesus is walking through town. He looks up in the tree and there's a little short guy in the tree. Remember that guy? His name was Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Right. And so anyway, so, so anybody, Zacchaeus, everybody in town hated Zacchaeus because he was a tax collector, but he wasn't a tax collector for the Jewish people. He was a tax collector for the Roman army. So he'd be like a, a citizen of New York city getting a job with Al-Qaeda, that, that, the same equivalent. And everybody in town hated it because he took a little bit of tax for Rome and he put the rest in his pocket and he got rich and everybody else went broke and everybody hated him. And Jesus knows all this. And Jesus walks into the street and looks up and knows all about Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, do you want to have dinner? Do you want to have dinner? And this didn't go well with the religious people because in Jewish culture, to ask somebody to have a meal with you was the same thing as saying, would you like to be friends? Would you like to hang out? Would you like to have a relationship? And the people did not understand why someone like Jesus would ever want to hang out with someone like, like Zacchaeus. Now, let me ask you this. When, when, when Jesus says, I want to be your friend, was he saying that what Zacchaeus had done to all of his friends wasn't really that bad? Was he saying that ah, it's okay, don't worry about it? You know, no. And the religious people couldn't figure this out. So they have a meeting about how bad Zacchaeus is and then how inappropriate it is for Jesus to be with friends with Zacchaeus. And they send a message across the street. Why is Jesus in Zacchaeus' house? And again, Jesus is so smart. Refer to your notes. I wrote, I wrote that down. It's right there. Right, right, right. And he knows what they're thinking. And he sends a message back. And here's the message he sends back to the religious people. He says this, for the son of man, and that's what he called himself. So Jesus came to seek and to save what was what? Lost. And when Jesus makes that state, that one sentence statement, he makes a couple of very, very, very important things that we need to hang on to. First of all, he acknowledges, I know he's lost. Look at him. I mean, look, of course he's lost. He, I mean, the reason I, I, we're in this house that he paid, you guys pay for. He, he, he's ripped you off. Of course he's lost. He's broken. He's a mess. He's a total mess. Second thing he announced was this. That's why I'm here. Because he's a mess. Because he's all jacked up. He's all broken, all right? He's, people like Zacchaeus is why I left heaven and came to earth in the first place. To look for and rescue Zacchaeus. Why would you want to do this, Jesus? So that Zacchaeus still has a shot at coming to the dance. And here's the other thing that's lost on most of us, but wasn't lost on those people that sent the message, the I can't believe Jesus hangs out with people like that, that meeting. 
See, see, they all knew what he was saying. Jesus was actually quoting a verse out of the Old Testament, a verse out of a chapter that all good Jewish kids had to memorize back in school. Ezekiel 34. Read it when you get home. But if Jesus had read the whole chapter, it would have gone something like this. It goes like this. I came to seek and save the lost. And here's the rest of it. And the reason that they're lost is you religious people lost them. You religious people, you're like, you're like the shepherds of my flock. And instead of taking care of and defending and gathering my sheep up, you beat my sheep up. You took the rod that was supposed to protect them and you beat my sheep and you scattered them and they're injured and they're afraid. So I'm going to come to do what you wouldn't do. I came to seek and to save and to gather back together and rescue my sheep. In other words, he's looking at these people going, the point of all this religion stuff, the point of this synagogue, the point of this temple. And he'd say to us today, the point of this church, the point of flat irons, whatever, is it's the same thing. God wants to take care of people and he does that through his people, or at least he wants to. In a short time after Zach's dinner party breaks up, there's a meeting across the street by the religious people. It goes something like this. Who does Jesus think he is to come in here and mess with what we do and how we do it, followed by let's get him killed. Right? It's no different today. Here's my other like, most favorite story in the whole Bible when Jesus really butts heads with these religious hypocrites, all right? So, so these religious guys, they, they heard a rumor about this girl or something like that and they stake out her apartment or whatever. They, they, they look at their watches and go, now they break down the door, they break in, there's a girl having an affair. She's having sex with a guy she's not married to. She pull, they pull her out of bed. They don't pull him out of bed, not fair. They drag her naked down the stairs through the streets and they throw this naked girl at the feet of Jesus and get this, they start quoting Bible verses at Jesus. That never goes well. Because uh, he knows, all right? So, right? so they quote Bible verses. They quote Leviticus 18 that goes like this. There's a verse in the Bible from Moses that says that people that commit adultery should be stoned because the wages of sin, the wages of death is adultery. What do you have to say about this? What do you think we ought to do to her, Jesus? And it's a trick question. Because if Jesus says don't kill her, they're going to say he ignores the Bible. If Jesus says kill her, they're going to say he's mean and cruel. He can't win. So you know what he does? He says nothing. He actually kneels down and, and he writes in the dirt. I want to know what he wrote in the dirt. I'm asking him someday. I am. What'd you write in the dirt that day? All right. And, and, and it's like, cause I bet it was awesome. Finally, he stands up and he looks at these religious people. They all have rocks cause they're ready to bash this girl's head in. And he looks at him, and you know, what he says, you're right. You know, your Bible, all right? Leviticus 18. It's, 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 it's in there, right? You're right. It's in the Bible. People like her deserve to be condemned. Absolutely. Because the wage of adultery, actually the wage of all sin is is death. So here's what we're going to do, all right? Because you know your Bible, all right? If anybody here, all you people with stones in your hand, if you've never committed a sin that separates you from God, there's no Bible verse that goes with that one, all right? right? Then you go first. You throw the first stone of execution. Let's don't stop there, though. When we're done with her, we'll work our way through the crowd and we'll pass out condemnation and throw stones at the next sinner. All right, if those are the rules you want to play by, let's do it. I got a whistle. I'll blow it. We'll start with her. We'll go. I, I made the whistle part up, all right? But anyway, we'll work our way through the crowd and give everybody what they biblically deserve, okay? Ready? Remember what happened? Everybody dropped the rocks and went home. Everybody went home. Right? So it's Jesus and these 12 disciples going, oh, this is weird. All right, all right, all right. And a naked girl, and he picks up this naked girl, he covers up her, her nakedness, and he asks her this question. Where are your accusers? Where's everybody that has a right to put a finger in your chest? She says, no one, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. That's called grace. Followed by, now you can't do this anymore. This is not the life for you, and that's called truth. It's both. It's grace and truth. See, the, the thing that we miss in this story a lot of time is that there was one person in the, in the crowd qualified to bash her head in with a stone and had a Bible verse to back him up. And that would be Jesus. He could have. And he chose not to. 
He didn't, he didn't not condemn her because she didn't really deserve it. No, the Bible's clear about what she deserved. And Jesus didn't stone her because, you know, he's going, you know, 2,000 years ago, that, that's one thing. But, but today, adultery is not that big of a deal, so we just don't do that anymore. No. He didn't, he didn't look at her and go, I understand. Kids will be kids. It was prom. You're 18. You're in love. He said he'd leave his, his wife and marry you. You know, so, she, uh, no. He didn't stone her. He did not stone her because she didn't deserve to be stoned. She did. He chose to not condemn her because she was already condemned. If he wanted to just live with the consequences of her actions, he should have just walked away. She's condemned. I don't need to stone her. But most of the reason he he didn't stone her is because if this girl is ever, he knows this, if this girl is ever going to have a chance of being connected or reconnected back to God, it's not going to happen by throwing stones at her. I've never met anybody that decided to follow Jesus because they got beat up. I've met a lot of people got beaten up in the name of Jesus. It did not result in them ever following Jesus. See, if... He knew it was only going to happen by helping her get back on her feet, pointing her towards truth, back towards the life that she was born to live, created to live, a life she'd probably given up on years ago. And Jesus looked at her and says, I think it's still possible. And I know some of you, especially you that grew up in church, you're sitting there going, I've heard this story forever. What's your point? All right, tell us something new. Here's my, here's my point. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was asked this question. Is there or what is the distinct turning point for your ministry that changed everything? And here it is. If you weren't here or you want to keep going with us in this, this place called Flatirons, it goes like this. About seven years ago, we made a decision that we want to be asked the same question that Jesus was asked over and over and over again. More than any other question, we want to be asked the same question. And the question goes like this. Flatirons, gym, individuals, whatever that is. Why do you go to the places that you go and welcome and care about the people that you welcome and care about? And the answer is because those are the people that Jesus welcomed and cared about and nobody else wants to go. Nobody else really seems to care about them. So how about this as a description for, for church, all right? Church, going with our theme here, a dance party for everybody else that nobody else wants to dance with. That's us. We had a really big aha moment as we, as we studied that question. Why does Jesus hang out with people like that? And the lights went on for us with this discovery. We is people like that. We, we, we are, right? We are, right? And when you realize that, it just changes everything. Because once you realize, you know what? I, I'm in the same boat. You can't do life the same anymore. You can't do church the same anymore. You, you can't throw stones anymore because it just changes everything. And most Christians don't want to admit it or they refuse to admit it. Or you, you got baptized and got amnesia or something and you forgot it. But if we were in that crowd, please remember this. If we were in the crowd and we had stones and that girl was laying there. Listen, if we're going to execute her, please know you're next. We're, we're next. We're all on the kill list. We really, really would. Every one of us, all right? You go, well, yeah, I haven't committed adultery. Okay, you haven't committed adultery or you haven't caught committed adultery or whatever. But fill in the blank. There is something in your life that if you were thrown at the feet of Jesus, it would not go well for you, right? We're all in the same boat. If you want to quote Bible verses to people, start with this one. The wage of any and all, including my sin, is death. All sin makes us a person like that. We're all in the same situation. So realizing that, we made a decision to admit it, that we're all totally dependent on grace. And we forget that a lot. And if you're new around here, I'm just reminding you what you jumped into. Today is a reminder because this is and will always be the number one thing that Jesus bumps into more than anything else, current religion, church, whatever, refusing to change or do anything different. Even if Jesus himself were to tell you to do something different or in the words of the prophets, Ario Speedwagon, if you're tired of the same old story, turn the pages, right? Turn the page. The best day of your life, in your personal life, in your marriage, in, in your sexual life, in your addiction life, and your life as a church is when you, when you come to this realization going, I am tired of the same old story and I want something new and I want something better in my life. That is a great day in your life. We, we, we stop saying things like, well, you should or you ought to do something different. And we start saying things like me too. As in, I believe that when we get to heaven, if you make it, 
<laughs> Sorry. We'll be all right. So anyway, when we get to heaven, I think the most common conversation you're going to have in your first five minutes in heaven is that you're, somebody's going to recognize you. You're going to walk up to you and go, how'd you get here? <laughs> right? Some of you going, dude, there's going to be a line of people going, really? You made it. Right? Right? And here, <laughs> so, right? You're going, I'm just lucky the roof didn't fall in when I came. Right? So, anyway, so, so you're going to get to heaven. Somebody going, well, how did you get here? And here's what you're going to say. Let me just rehearse this. All right? You're going to look back at him and go, I screwed up my life. I bumped into Jesus. He cut me a sweet deal and he invited me in. That's my only way. And the response back to you will be, yeah, me too. Me too. That's, that's the only thing that we, that we have to kind of boast in, right, right, right there. We just decide to admit that we are the church of misfit toys. That's a Rudolph reference there, right? <laughs> to, to, to welcome other people that churches, that other churches just don't want and go places that other churches refuse to go. See, there are tons of churches in America and across the world. There's t- tons of churches within a couple of miles of this building to, right now. They are reading the same Bible and they're teaching about the same Jesus and they're landing on the same truth and they're going to heaven when they die. There just aren't many cr- churches who are willing to lay down their stones and welcome messy people in and say me too. See, I, I, I get it. I lead a big church. Look, Right. This is, this is almost as big as my hometown. This is, I'm not used to this. All right. Right. So I, I, I magazines call and, and, and ask me for interviews and that weirds me out. I think it's just so stupid that we want to talk to me about that. But, but people, especially church leaders, they ask me an email them and they stop me at conferences all the time. And they ask me the same thing. Jim, what's the secret to growing a big church? And here's my answer. I don't know. I have no idea because I never set out to have a big church. I set out to have a church that makes a difference in the world. It seems like when you're making a difference, it actually grows. I want to have a church that has asked the same questions that Jesus was asked. Scott, Scott's mentioned this last week. He said, if we ever have a conference, we already know the title on the banner. Remember this? The, the name of our conference is, we don't know what the heck we're doing, right? <laughs> we clean that up because it's church. But anyway, but anyway. Seriously, we thought about that a lot. And so if we ever do have a conference, we really only have two things to say, two sessions, two workshops, whatever. The first one goes like this. All right. Act like Jesus and treat people the way Jesus treated them. That's the first thing. The second thing would be stop doing stupid stuff that doesn't mean anything and stop saying stuff that Jesus never said and your church will grow. That's just true. All right. So you know what I found? I've been on vacation. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking. All right. So what I found is this, is that people love to be around. People always love to hang around Jesus. It's his people that drive the world crazy. That's just, amen, sister. Right? That just, that, that's just true. All right. It is. Particularly people who think that their righteousness and their standing with God came from some part of their own self-righteousness and not by grace alone. And that's not true. See, any church can claim to be like Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We sing about Jesus. We read his book. We have his picture on the wall and his cross on the roof. But I said this a few weeks ago. You can take some apples and nail it to a fence post. It doesn't make it an apple tree. It's a, it's a poser fake post. That's all it, all it is. All right. And some of you are getting all excited, you know, and thinking, yeah, we need to be a church like that. And I want to be a follower like that. Well, be, be, do you? Be careful what you ask for. Because if you start asking questions like, why do we do that? And let's throw out all the weird religious stuff that's not that important because Jesus never said anything about that. And let's start welcoming and being friends with people that no other church wants. I promise at least three things will happen. First of all, they killed Jesus for it. Okay, so so the first thing you need to expect, if you really run after Jesus with all your heart and start loving people that Jesus really loves, you can expect that there's going to be meetings about you. Right. Other churches, people in this room are going to have meetings about you, about this, this place. And they're talking about this. They shouldn't do that. They shouldn't be like that. They shouldn't play music like that. That we sold out. We're sin light. We're Bible light. I love that one. Right? All right. And the second thing is this. If we keep going this way, like we've gone the last seven or eight years, we keep going as a church and individually in this direction. Here's what's going to happen. More and more and more and more messy people. We're going to continue to show up at Flatirons and in your life. And guess what happens? When messy people show up, they act messy. 
Write that down. Jesus is smart. Messy people act messy. That's just true, all right? That, that's just true. And again, if you're sitting there going, I get it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Let's do that. No, you don't get it. You don't, you don't, you don't get it. Some of you do not, not very many. You say, well, what do you mean I don't get it? I mean, I mean this. Think about your typical after church conversation. Lobby conversation, on my way to the car conversation. Especially if you grew up in church like me. I'm not talking about you're walking out going, how's your grandma? Well, her Bersides. No, I'm not talking about that. I don't know what precise is. But anyway, right, right? Or, or, hey, what, what are you doing? My whole family, we're all going to Chili's. You want to do that? No, that's not what I'm talking about. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm talking about the conversations that I bump into all the time that go like this. Hi, I'm a messy person. And off to the races we go. Because this, 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 is, this, is this is our lobby. She's going, well, what are you talking about? Oh, can I tell you about Melissa? I'll tell you about Melissa. She gave me permission to share her story. Listen, so, so about a year ago, I'm out in the, I've sat out by the fireplace and here comes Melissa. And I know it's Melissa because she's had this conversation with some other people that she's about to have with me. So Melissa comes up to me and goes, hi, I'm Melissa. I'm like, yeah, I know. All right. And so she says, so I have three questions for you. I'm like, okay. She goes, okay. So first of all, I'm eight years post-operative transgender. I mean, eight years ago, my, I was a man and now my name's Melissa. And I think she expected me to fall down. I didn't. I stopped breathing just a second, but I, but I, I faked it. I'm like, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Here, here were her three questions. First of all, am I allowed to be here? Can I be here? That's the first question. Second of all, if I meet a man, will you do my wedding in two years? All right. The third one, can I go to the women's retreat? Now, here's the thing. Some of you got your... That never had... I never got asked those questions in Kentucky. I never did. I, 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 I never did. So, so I took a breath because I kind of rehearsed this in my head. And I looked at her and I said, first of all, I know God loves you. So we love you. And so this is your church and you can always come. That's the first thing. Second thing, I would never promise anybody I would do their wedding two years from now, hypothetically. So we'll cross that bridge if and when we come to it. The third thing is this. I have no idea what your life is like. I have no understanding of your journey. I, I don't. I, I, I can't make any of this make sense. I, I don't understand your life and what brought you to this point in your life. I do know this, is that if you'll be patient with me, I'll be patient with you and we'll work this out. If, if, if We'll just keep going. But I promise that nobody will beat you up as we work this out together. And I see, here's the thing is, I know some of you right now, you're writing emails to me in your head. And you're, here, here it goes like this. So you're saying Flatiron's official stance on What? We don't have an official stance on anything except this. Point people towards Jesus and what he said. Open our arms wide and love everybody that God brings into this place. That's our official stance, all right? We're going to love everybody in here. What, what do you want me to say? What? I see ya. What, what? All right, so what do you want me to say to her? Oh, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, how about, well, why don't you go have another surgery then come back? Right? Because that's what's Listen, whatever Melissa has wrestled through, and this isn't hypothetical, she'll be sitting right down here at 1045. All right? Whatever she's wrestled through can't be fixed with surgery. It can only be fixed with Jesus doing some, something in her heart. And that's between the two of them. But until Jesus and her work all that out, she's safe here. Or how about Seth? I told you a little bit of Seth's story a couple years ago. We had this big man event here. 4,000 guys showed up after a Broncos game. And I got out here early. I'm out here by the fireplace, right? And Seth walks up, or walks up and goes, Pastor Jim. And he's covered head to toe in tats. I told you part of Seth's story a couple years ago. Seth was the guy who just got out of prison. And, he, and he'd been sober for 30 days. And then he went to Thornton to buy drugs. Because, and I quote, Thornton's where you buy drugs. So anyway, so he's going to Thornton. <laughs> That's what he said. Anyway, so, and he was praying, God, I don't want to do this. And he saw a flat iron sticker and he turned around and went home and stayed sober. That's, that's a great story, all right? But he said, so Jim, I just got out of prison. When I was in prison, I was in this gang. And he told me the name of the gang. When I told some cop friends of mine the name of the gang, they just like turned pale, like, 
I'm like, he said, I, had to, I did it just to survive in prison. We're, we're bad. We're bad. I mean, we're the kind of people that send people to your house and kill your wife and kids, which they've done recently. He says, listen, I know, I know you talk about Jesus will forgive me. God will forgive me for everything. Do you think God will ever forgive, help me forgive myself for what I've done? And you got to get this, okay? Because I, I got a grown man leaning into me and he's waiting for me to tell him if God either loves him or hates him. And he's going to believe whatever I'm about to say. And I said, let me tell you a story. There's this guy in the Bible, his name's Saul. And he beat up all these people, killed all these people, destroyed all these people's lives, destroyed their families or whatever, all right? And then he bumped into Jesus. He bumped into Jesus and realized, I got to have a better life. And then he had to go into witness protection program, leave the country for three years, change his name from Saul to Paul. And then when he came back, people wouldn't forgive him. People wouldn't let him off the mat until the day that he finally died. People, Christian people were trying to have him killed for the rest of his life. And God used Paul other than Jesus Christ himself, to bring more people to himself than any other human being that's ever walked on the earth. So Seth, Jesus is not only forgiving you, I think Jesus wants to use your life in a major way. So you're welcome here. You need to be here. How about the time I was, I was walking out? This is across the street. It was after merge, our college service. And I walked off. I've been talking about the, the love of God. I walked down the stairs and I walked down the aisle. I was going to go to the lobby. And this woman, comes, or a drunk woman comes over to me and she says, everything that you just set up there is total bull. bull all right? And then she punched me. And I'm like, I could take her. I, I didn't think Jesus would hit her. I, <laughs> What would Jesus do? You know, so, anyway, so, so, so she's hitting me and stuff like that. I'm like, hey, oh, oh, oh. here's the other thing is that Scott and Allie were at church that night. Scott and his wife, Allie. And, and so Scott's like worshiping. And Allie goes, hey, Jim, there's a lady that's punching. There's a lady punching Jim. And Scott goes, yeah, praise the Lord. Praise <laughs> the Lord. That, that is true. That's a true story. All right. He didn't help me out. Leave no man behind. That doesn't mean anything to him. Anyway, so. But I could smell the alcohol in her breath. And I, she, you know, her story started coming out that her husband was at home, probably beating up the kids right now. And if she goes home, she's going to get beaten. I hooked her up with Nan and they spent the whole evening together. And what, what do you want me to say to her? You shouldn't talk like that. Is that, is that the most needed thing in her life? A couple months ago, I'm out here and this lady walks up and goes, are you allowed to say, and she dropped the F-bomb, say F in a prayer to God because I did. <laughs> you know what I said? He's heard it before. For me. No, so, no, so. so my question is, are you okay with that? Not the rightness or wrongness of it, but them being here. Are, are, you, are you okay with not just, just them being here, but being welcomed in and opening our arms to, to people like that? For, for people like being the main reason we have church. Because we is people like that. And, G- and Jesus described his church not as just a dance party, but as, as a hospital for sick, messy people. Meaning this is, can you imagine on your way home today, God forbid, you're on your way home and some car smashes into your car and your child or your husband or your girlfriend or whatever is hurt really, really, really bad. And you're laying by the, the side of the road and they are dying. And then somebody stops and says, get in the car. I'll take you to the hospital. They can help. You pick up the person you love. You take them to the hospital. You walk up to the front door and they're met there by the hospital staff going, you can't come in. Why? Because you're all bloody and covered in vomit. And you'll make people uncomfortable in here. So go home, clean yourself up, stop acting sick and injured, and then you can come back and then maybe we'll let you in. Can you imagine what would go through your head and through your heart? Because that's how most of the world feels about church, right? It's just true. See, and I know it's a hard teaching, especially if you're like me and you grew up in church your whole life. And anytime Jesus laid out hard teachings like this, people ran for the hills. One time Jesus had a, a whole field full of people and he laid this hard truth on them and they all went, no thanks. And they all left except 12 guys. So it's Jesus and 12. There were hundreds. Now there's Jesus and 12 guys. And Jesus looks at these guys and goes, do you want to leave me too? Remember what Peter said back to him? He looked at him and said, Lord, where, who, to whom shall we go? Where do you want us to go? You, you alone, Jesus, you have the words of life. And so I would like to ask you individually and as a church called Flatirons, if you don't want messy people to come here, people who have parts of their lives that are dead and all withered up and hurting and broken, they're lost, they're scared people, then where do you suggest they go? Where do you want him to go? 
So let's go back. What is the turning point in your life, individually or either as a church, as a follower of Jesus? What are people accusing you of? See, people accuse Jesus of being a lot of things. They accuse him of being a fake, a false teacher, a hypocrite. They accuse him of being a drunk. But the one thing they never accused Jesus of was throwing stones at a person that made a mistake, turning away anybody that was actually seeking, asking, and knocking, looking for truth. And he never, ever, ever, ever used God's words as a weapon against anyone, no matter what mistakes or how many mistakes they'd made. So that's why I love Shine so much. If you're new around here, just wait. I mean, it's just so great. To me, that is a picture, that is a snapshot of what Jesus had in mind when he had this thing called church in his head. Jesus came to invite and dance with the people that nobody else wants to dance with. I want to be a part of a church like that. Now, I'm I'm almost done. So so I'm at Santiago's yesterday morning because burritos are awesome and they're only $2. So anyway, so so I'm right down here on South Lake Road. And and so Robin goes, hey, let's get burritos. So I I go, I I don't have any money. So I walk over to Chase Bank. I go to the bank machine, have a conversation with the guy there. Then I go over to to Santiago's and I'm in line. It goes all the way out. And so I'm playing solitaire and all that. Finally, I'm getting ready to order my my burritos. And the lady behind me goes, Pastor Jim. I'm like, yeah, hey. She goes, I want to buy your burritos. I'm like, awesome. Didn't need to go to the bank. Anyway, so anyway, so. That's that's really going through my head, honestly. And then my order went from two to 40 burritos. It's great. So anyway, so not, not really. So, so thanks. And we had a conversation and it took a long time and I had a conversation and I had a conversation with some other people. And then on my way out to the car, I had a conversation with some more people and, and four out of the five conversations I had waiting for my burritos and going back to my car yesterday morning were, were all the same. One didn't count because she was six. All right. But anyway, but the other, they were all the same. They went like this, flatter and changed my life. Flatterns saved my life. Flatterns saved my marriage. Flatterns changed my kids. And I know they're saying flatterns, but what they mean is Jesus. Jesus changed my life. Jesus saved my life. Jesus changed my family. Jesus changed my parents, my kids, whatever that is. All right. Meaning this, I bumped into Jesus at Flatirons. I love that. People ask me all the time, does it bother you when people stop you at Santiago's and every place and talk to you? Like, no, no, it's, it's the most awesome thing in my life. I love being a part of something like that. So, so let me ask you this. This is kind of my aha moment at the end of this. If you're here today and all of your life or part of your life is hurting withered up, broken, dying, dead, or almost dead. This is going to sound so weird, but just trust my heart in this. I'm one of those people that believes God rearranged the universe for you to sit in this room today to be reminded that God doesn't hate you, that he actually loves you. And the reason for all this, this building, this band, everything, your kids across the hall, all that kind of stuff has one sole purpose for giving you a chance and a place to consider what Jesus might want to do in your life. In other words, he just wanted you to know that you're still invited to the dance no matter what. And my other question would be this, and this is, the, this is the kind of the, uh, all right? Honest, are you one of the reasons why people aren't here? Are you, one of the, are you one of the people that's standing in the way? Are you one of the people that have put off this vibe of you're not good enough or you just got to clean up your life before you come in the doors of this place? You have to change your life, you have to do this, you have to do that. People like you wouldn't be welcome here. Are, are you, because here would be the word of God to you. Knock it off. Get out of the way. Open up your arms wide because you is a people like that. We all are. So I want to be a part of a church like that. I've been on vacation. I'm feeling good. Here we go. <laughs> let's stand up. Let's pray. God, I love you so much. God, I just pray for anybody in this room that, that has a part of their life that's, that's broken or breaking on the edge of breaking, that's dying, withered up, almost dead. You've already, they've already buried it, surrendered it, going, it'll, it'll never come back to life. But God, you're the God of resurrection and you can put pieces back together and parts back together and marriages back together, religion or relationships back together. You can do all that. All, all you ask of us today is just come and see my son, Jesus. He's, he's so good. You might've heard some things about him that he's mean or that he's demanding. It's like, you know, above all, he's so good. 
He wants to come and live in our lives and help us put the pieces back together so we actually have a shot. Other people might have given up on us. Other people have thrown stones at us. Other people have, have quoted Bible verses at us. But, but all Jesus wants us to do is just come and see, walk with him, follow him to a, to a better place. That's, that's what this place is about. Our arms are open wide. We have nothing to say except there's Jesus. Y'all work out your stuff. That's what I want to be a part of. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.